Welcome to this bonus episode of Streamed and Screened, our uh, Halloween October spooktacular with the leaves turning and the air becoming crisp and chill. So we're going to be talking about horror movies and such. Uh, I am Chris Lay. I'm one of the co-hosts. I'm the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. We also have Jared McNett making a reappearance here. Uh, been gone for a little bit. It's uh, it's spooky season. Uh, it's it's truly scary hours. This, these are the days and the weeks where uh, the demons run amok. You know. What's the uh, the chant from Halloween Three? Oh, uh, are you talking about the jingle? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a countdown every day. So what are we? We're recording this on October sixth. So the chant then for today would be uh. It's a little unwieldy, but uh, 25 more days till Halloween, 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 25 days till Halloween, silver shamrock. Does, doesn't work when it's in double digits unless it's like 10 or 11. No, not at all. But, you know, you can't you can't knock us for not being enthusiastic at that point. Anyone who's, you know, 24 days till Halloween, how like that's a, you know. I, uh... I, I do wonder um, for anyone that has seen that movie, the the basic gist of Halloween three is there's an evil uh, mask slash like uh, merchandise. Think of like Spirit, the that company that has all those stores that open up when other places close. If Spirit was like actually evil and trying to murder children, it would be the business from Halloween three, and they have these like uh, in incredibly grating ads with that jingle that we were just singing, and I have to wonder. How far out ahead of Halloween do they do those ad buys? You know, as soon as October one starts, where they were doing ad buys, was there a print equivalent? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's a there's a way to like. I guess maybe they would like slip in a phrase that would like trigger people or something into something grotesque happening. I, I mean, listen, I'm we're gonna talk a little bit more about Halloween, obviously coming up. Oh yeah, uh, the Halloween franchise, but Halloween three. It gets a lot of crap, but the only reason that it gets a lot of crap is because it's not a Halloween movie. Yep. As far as being a horror film, it's fine. Some would say really good. I think it's it's more novel than it is anything else. I am one of those people who would say it's really good. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's it's a little long. It's a little shaggy. And the the lead of that one is uh, 80s everyman uh, Tom Atkins who in a way ends up being like something of like a sex symbol at one point in uh in Halloween 3 which is not really deserved. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Tom Atkins, but sex symbol is not something in his repertoire. I I, I would concur. And yeah, it's um it's been reclaimed, I think by the current critical consensus yeah. and been, you know, rediscovered by an, a new generation of of cinema uh, fans. But it's yeah, it's still it doesn't doesn't rise to the level of quality uh, in my in my eyes. It is certainly better than it is thought of. But to really overcommit to that on my on my part is damning with faint praise. Well, and this is something we could talk about at some point, too, if you want. But, you know, obviously, horror movies in particular are either famous or infamous for having a lot of sequels. And um not that it's necessarily the steepest competition in the world, but Halloween three is probably one of the better horror movie sequels out there. Um, again, not the toughest mountain to climb, but it's, it's <laughs> up there for one of the best ones. Yeah. 
So let's jump into. You want to do new releases? What do let's you want do, to do. Let's do um, stuff that we've seen so far this year. That right. that is scary. Which of which there's there's certainly a handful. I was putting together uh, just before we started recording a uh, a list of everything I've seen this year, horror movie wise, and then I narrowed it down to uh, my five favorites. And I can uh, just start shouting some of those out if you want. Yeah, let's go. Um, let's let's do your list from uh, from number five on down, and we'll um, we'll chat about each one a little bit. All right. Uh, so the first one I had was one that I talked about on the podcast uh, earlier in the year. I think in the summertime is when this one came out. Um, and that is the movie by Chloe Okuna and it's or Okuno and it's uh, Watcher. And the uh, the basic premise of that one is um, this woman played by Michael Monroe, who was also in uh, It Follows. She's in a city in Europe. I'm blanking on which city it is now. I think it's um, Budapest, maybe, but I can't remember off the top of my head. That sounds right. Prague. Either, I mean, either something, that or Prague, something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's one of those two. And she's in the city and, you know, she's not really getting along the way she would like to. She doesn't really speak the language well enough. And she starts to think that she's being stalked by a serial killer. And like this movie does such a good job of slowly like ratcheting up the pace. It never gets to like a frantic pace, I would say, even in the like climax, which is a little dramatic, but not like a feverish pitch i didn't think um and i i loved it for that i loved how slow and steady of a build the movie was and even like there was a little bit of deacceleration at some points in the movie too where you start to think well maybe this is just all in her head and she actually doesn't have anything to worry about and now i can rest easy it is just a great exercise in in building tension and even in, in world building somewhat too like the feel of the city um is very foreboding and it's it's one of those feels where you have this sense that you could go down any one of these streets and alleyways and maybe find something messed up if you kept wandering down them long enough agreed yeah i i also chimed in about uh watcher being really good and yeah it didn't it seems like that's kind of out of uh it's fallen all off of people's lips it sounds like, like when it when it came out you know, I think it ended up on, you know, Cinema Blend and AV Club. And there were a handful of, uh, you know, positive uh, opportunities out there. Pot- there. There was some good press about it. Uh, and it's uh, streaming on Shudder, if mm-hmm. anybody wants to check that out. And I guess it shouldn't be entirely surprising that something like that has already been forgotten a little bit just because of the way, like, releases and stuff work now. But also, too, like, I'm not saying it's slight, but it does have a very ephemeral kind of feeling to it so it, it makes sense that it's something that would sort of just disappear after a while from people's minds so what else you got i guess this one's a little bit more of a hybrid but since some of the other movies are even more firmly entrenched in uh horror i think it's okay to include uh 2022 version of uh the predator saga and that's prey uh the uh dan trachtenberg uh you're nodding your head a little bit you, you think uh prey counts I would say Prey is more sci-fi than horror, but I'm not gonna have it crossed off the list. I think Fair enough. it's, uh, yeah. And, and specifically this one as, as being a horror movie, you're stretching a little bit. I think there's enough like grotesquery in it that is like horror kind of grotesquery. Sure. Um, but um, no, I, I genuinely loved um, Prey. It's 
probably one of the best things Hulu's had on there all year in terms of any of the Hulu movie releases. And it's one that I'm kind of bummed um, didn't get a theatrical release. I'm not the only person that's complained about that um, because it would benefit from it. It The look of it in certain parts is beautiful because they're filming you know, in the Great Plains. Uh, in Canada, though, I believe is where they actually filmed it in the Canadian Great Plains. And it's basically the origin story of like the first time that the predator came to earth basically to hunt humans. Um, and what ends up happening is that a uh, girl who's, you know, on the verge of becoming a woman uh, in the Comanche tribe um, has to go up against the predator with some help from uh, other people in her tribe, basically. And there's some really cool, set pieces in it there's some great storytelling around that whole idea of someone like kind of passing from you know being a child into adulthood and how they're tested in that passage and yeah it's a a really fun uh kind of movie and you know it's not entirely horror like i said but there's some good uh grotesque stuff in it which you kind of need from all the other predator movies so yeah keep on rolling what else you got uh then my next one i had uh now we're starting to get up just high into my overall list of like my favorite movies from the year period regardless of genre and right now this is sitting at like uh number 10 for me for the year number three for horror movies and that is uh barbarian uh directed by one of the guys from uh, the whitest kids you know <laughs> the long one that i really like for the movie is that um, the movie is set in this like Airbnb basically in Detroit in a very, very, very like bombed out uh, portion of Detroit. Not unlike uh, the Detroit you see in Don't Breathe or in It Follows. Like those are, are also Detroit horror movies. And like it seems like this is supposed to be set in the same part of Detroit basically. And the way the movie starts and the type of horror movie it is at the beginning is not at all the kind of movie that Barbarian finishes as. And I'm choosing my phrasing very carefully because I really don't want to spoil anything, even now, even though the movie's been out for a while, because part of the pure just joy of watching Barbarian is in the way it completely sheds its skin from one kind of horror movie to another. And the description I heard that I liked the most is that, you know, again, it's set in an Airbnb and one of the descriptions was that the upstairs of this movie and of the house is like a David Fincher movie um, in terms of how it's executed and the look and everything like that. It's very, very well crafted and very well kept up. And then the basement of this movie is like a Sam Raimi movie, especially any of Sam Raimi's horror movies. And that should tip you off at least a little bit about the kind of things you're in store for once the movie goes downstairs and goes from there. I, I really enjoyed Barbarian. Uh, I think I enjoyed it less than you, but that's not uh, a criticism necessarily. It felt like a movie that is, it's all about changing gears, I guess. Yeah. And it very much puts you on, on your heels, you know, uh, as far as expectations go. And I was really happy with Zach Kreger. I mean, it seems like a, it, it was a bit of a flex for him to be like, not only am I going to do this one movie, yep. but the movie that you think it's going to be, but I'm also going to do a couple of other different styles and have it fit relatively seamlessly, but they're all going to be done really, really well. And for him coming in from comedy, I don't know if anybody remembers the the movie Miss March, which was the whitest kids, you know, film 
but it's like um, a teen sex comedy kind of yeah thing. it's a it's a really interesting mm-hmm. chapter in his career that that he's starting with barbarian he talked about on the um the horror movie podcast uh colors of the dark he basically said that when he was writing the script for barbarian that whenever he found himself getting a little bit bored with how the plot was going that's when he really decided to like just shake things up and like veer off into another direction, which is again, a very bold move to do for, for any movie, let alone one that is uh, 103 minutes to make as many radical shifts as it does. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love the most too, that I'll, I'll try to get into without spoiling too much is the way. And again, this is, this is the mark of a lot of the best horror movies, the way some of the smallest details can be some of the most unsettling and in the case of Barbarian, two of the ones that stick out um, are kind of interrelated where there's a point in the movie where you see a room where there's just a completely disgusting mattress and a video camera. And then a little while later in the movie, there is a library of videotapes in another room. And you see the titles of some of those tapes. And just even seeing the titles of some of them like put some very horrifying images in your brain. <laughs> I agree. the The small details make uh, a tremendous amount uh, in in Barbarian, and it's the the tone, the tonal shifts for everything is is done really, really well. So, yeah, I totally am right there. Uh, what's your number two, Pearl? And we can, I mean, we can we can go ahead and probably say that Pearl and X are two sides of the same coin right now, and both of those came out this year. Yep, and. Uh... I don't think Maxine, the third movie they've announced now from Ty West, who also did House of the Devil, I don't think that's coming out this year. That's coming out next year, if I recall correctly. And I, you and I both really liked um, X a lot. We talked about that earlier this year. And I, I loved Pearl even more than um, X. And, you know, if uh, some of the best parts of Barbarian are in the small details – one of the pure joys of Pearl is how amazingly broad some of it is in terms of like Mia Goth's acting in it and just some of the stuff it goes for in terms of like the horror elements in, in the movie. And, you know, it, it feels like every couple of years, um, God bless the dedicated horror fans. They will latch onto something uh, as a performance that should get nominated for an Oscar. You know, that happened with uh, hereditary with uh, <laughs> Tony Collette and, Mia Goth's not going to get an Oscar nomination for for Pearl, but damn, I wish there was a world where that could be the case because it would be totally deserved. Not just for uh, a certain monologue that happens in the movie that everyone has talked about, but there's another moment in the movie um, which is a prequel to X um, where um, Mia Goth plays Pearl, a character from the movie X, as like a young woman who is all by herself basically on a farm Um at the tail end of world war one as the um, pandemic uh, from that time period is, you know, really in full, full gear. Um, And it's kind of just her slow descent into madness. Um, And there's a 10 minute monologue that everyone's talked about. That's lovely. And then the other truly impressive part to me is when the switch fully flips on it being clear that she is like completely lost it as opposed to just hints of it um, in a barn that that is to me the best moment of the movie. And one of my favorite moments of the entire year in any movie, I think. And it's also a movie I think that sort of stretches your definition of horror. Yep. It, 
it is a horror movie, but not in in the most specific sense. It it has a very like Stephen King kind of quality to it uh, in in the tone and pacing. Uh, very novelistic, I guess, in the way that the the horror elements are deployed, I suppose, yep. versus the historical fiction aspect and the you know human element uh, of telling the story. Well, yeah, the and the human element, you know, I mentioned like it may sound weird that I was calling parts of that uh, a monologue in a horror movie lovely, but there is truly a human element in in that particular part of the movie that I actually found myself getting a little bit emotional about because like even though the the person saying it is someone you've watched do horrifying things by that point in the movie like the emotions being expressed are still incredibly relatable even though they're coming from a deeply flawed person (laughs) yeah and i think it's interesting that martin scorsese has come out pretty vocal about this in 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 the press and in you know i mean a24 the distributor for it has been pretty thorough at spreading it around but yeah, Martin Scorsese loved it. And yep. one of the reasons is that it is gorgeous. I mean, it really, it feels like watching it, it made me think of Powell and Pressburger and the red shoes specifically with the way that color is used. And I mean, another movie about a, a dancer. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think Scorsese actually owns one, if not multiple pairs of the shoes that were used in the film, The Red Shoes. And he's talked about at length how that's like his favorite movie ever, basically. If anyone listening to this has not seen The Red Shoes, please. It's fantastic. So what is your, uh, so we're we're up to number one, correct? For my number one, I say yes to Nope, um, which I already gushed about plenty before on a previous podcast. But I mean, you know, plenty of people made uh, comparisons between this movie and Spielberg flexing when he did uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I think that that's entirely earned. Like, Nope is such a spectacle of a horror movie. Like, the kind of spectacle you don't get in a lot of horror movies anymore, really. Like, even even the past couple years, a lot of them, you know, I mentioned Hereditary, you know, Midsommar, even though it has a long runtime, the spectacle of it is not that grand in some ways because it's a pretty self-contained kind of story. This is a massive, like, feeling movie. And to do that with a horror movie in 2022 is one of the things I love so much about it. And to make it an extraterrestrial sort of um, like horror movie, which like are hardly any of anymore either, is all the more impressive and and delightful to me. And Daniel Kaluuya is a perfect uh, collaborator with Jordan Peele. He's amazing in the movie. Uh, Kiki Palmer is amazing in the movie. Stephen Yoon is incredible. Keith David's barely in it and is wonderful. Like, everyone in it is bringing their a game including the, the the crew as well because the look of it is great you know jordan peele's script is great the, i could just keep saying everything is great but i would just sound like a broken record after a while yeah and, i mean as we were talking earlier about oscar nominees and i i don't i mean i, I very much doubt that this will happen but the subtleties of daniel kaluuya's performance in this film i've I've now seen it three times in the theater and it, I see different things every single time. And it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of shocked at the, the replay value. And I mean, say what you will about Jordan Peele and us. And, and I know, I don't think that he's ever going to make a film that is as uniquely perfect as get out. No, but 
that was that was a very like singular kind of moment for that movie to come out. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I, I every single one of his films you can put on again and again, love or hate, and and find something that is new and, and valuable and really, really well done. Uh, and yeah, I yeah, and- I think nope is only gonna grow better. I mean, and, and it's it's not a perfect film. I, I certainly have you know some quibbles with it, uh, but it is just one of the most thought provoking movies I think uh, that and that's come out. It's the most fun to talk about, I think, of of Jordan Peele's films. For my money, as horrifying as some of the stuff in Pearl is or in Barbarian, the most horrifying thing I've watched in a movie this year uh, is in Nope, and it involves a uh, a primate. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I don't think I'll see a more horrifying thing in a horror movie this year. Gordy did nothing wrong. He's just being Gordy, you know? You gotta let Gordy be Gordy. Absolutely. So I agree with all of those outside of a couple of more, you know, genre quibbles, I suppose. But <laughs> the ones that I'm gonna add to that list. Okay. And I've I've already jumped on and spoken pretty highly. I think we did like a June or July. Uh, middle of the year rounds up and uh, fresh the it's on Hulu. It's directed by Mimi cave, Mm, Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan as you know, there's a, I don't know. I mean, to mention that it's a cannibal thing uh, is pretty, not a spoiler seeing as how the, the poster for it is a, a woman's hand wrapped up like a piece of meat, but it's not perfect, but it is, it's a solid thriller. And definitely kept me into it. And yeah, so that's that's my my two cents. The other slightly older one from earlier in this year that I'll you and I were talking about a little bit before we started recording, but bodies, 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 uh, whether or not that is a horror film is a little different. Uh, and that's one I mean, to to really get into the reasons why that's up in the air as to be a horror film would kind of maybe give some of the third act stuff away, which, so we're not going to get into that too much, but as a, as a slasher film, I think it certainly stands up. I jumped a few times seeing it and the design of the whole thing is really fantastic. And the practical lighting and stuff in the movie is very good. Yeah. The only (laughs) ding that I'll give to that. I don't know if you have, or if you caught this when you were watching it, but, uh, Rachel Sennott, mm-hmm. there's a scene. I think she's one of the only people that keeps the like the raver, uh, you know, glow stick thing around her neck the entire time. Yep. And whenever they're doing like shot reverse shot kind of dialogue over the shoulder type things back and forth cutting her thing changes constantly. Like someone <laughs> is just like whoever it was that was in charge of, you know, keeping keeping things consistent on on that day of shooting was was not doing doing their job. Well, you know, you know, they did all do drugs at one point in the night, so maybe she's just constantly fidgeting with it. <laughs> you don't see all the fidgeting she does with it. And only only fidgeting when the camera's not on her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, no, you're right. The, the it's it's my fault. I'm <laughs> But but yeah, no, she is uh really really funny in that movie, and I am not at all a Pete Davidson fan, but Pete Davidson to me was the funniest part of of Bodies Bodies Bodies. Uh, Maria Bakalova as a fish out of water. Um, yep. The all of the, I mean, just aside from any of the horror elements that are there, 
the the social dynamics that are being balanced in in telling the story and the way that everything kind of unspools is uh, just done done really well. It's it's a really effective film, I thought. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see what the other one that I'm going to add. Uh, I I just saw this last weekend, and it I. I don't think I've squirmed in a theater seat like this in, in a very long time, but uh smile. I still need to see a smile. I, I plan to this weekend though. Yep. Uh, directed by Parker Finn starring Sosie Bacon uh, and a bunch of, I mean, it's a, a pretty tidy little cast and yeah, it, it, it was incredibly creepy. Uh, but the only downside, maybe I think I'd say to it is that there's talk of sequels and I'm assuming that's just because there's, there's money to be made. Uh, and you know, I, I get that, but this, I thought the film ended on a, a really satisfying note mm. and I, I won't say what made it satisfying. And I'm sure that there are people that might disagree aggressively with, with my assessment, but yeah. If you're looking for a, a really great horror film uh, to to jump into, uh, you mentioned It Follows earlier. It's very similar in that I was going to say, that, that was one of the reviews I saw even was that uh, Smile is about as close as we'll get to like a sequel to It Follows. The only thing I would say is It Follows, the, the rules that It Follows sets up for itself uh, is like aren't, doesn't quite balance out. Uh, and I think it's there's a certain convolutedness to the way that it follows is structured or the the way that bad things are doled out to people. Uh, the, the logic behind it just kind of falls apart, whereas with Smile, I didn't bump into that in the slightest. So, yeah, I would uh, say, yeah, throw it out there. It's also going to come with a pretty uh, heaping helping of, of trigger warnings for self-harm. That is probably obvious, but it's worth throwing out there. <laughs> so, based on the trailer, yeah. Yeah, based on the trailer. And I, it, it really, I mean, the trailer doesn't really even do do it justice to the the depths that it kind of wanders from there. So yeah, that, that's a pretty tidy, solid list of the best horror films of, of 2022. And there's a lot of different moods in there, too. In terms of styles of horror movies. I agree. Yeah. No, it's a, I think we've got ourselves a really great uh, marathon. I don't know if that, if you'd really want to, you know, line up for all 24 plus whatever hours uh, <laughs> that would be back to back to back. Well, if you, if you were doing that, you would want something like, uh, I don't, I'm not going to plan out a whole uh, marathon night for somebody, but you would want something like barbarian right in the middle. Maybe when people are starting to get a little woozy or a little sleepy, you need something to, to jolt them back awake. And that would be a good one. Yep. And then, oh man, I couldn't imagine, like if you do a full like 24 hour thing and have it set up to, you know, kind of finish off at dawn, have Pearl be, be the capper there. That would be pretty start with X and then do the whole thing. And honestly, I feel like we may, (laughs) that would be, that would be a fever dream to spend, uh, do a 24 hour movie marathon and end with something like Pearl that would just like invoke or, uh, would cause delirium. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what are the movies that are coming out? The rest of the year, you and I, I mean, there's not really that many horror things that are lined up. I don't think. uh, No. Outside of, I mean, the ones that I've got, we can talk about the the final iteration in David Gordon Green's trilogy uh, of Halloween sequels. 
which started with Halloween and then Halloween Kills came out last year. And now we have Halloween Ends. Got it. Halloween's got to end at some point. Yeah. So what are you, um, I mean, are you looking forward to Halloween Ends? I know oh, you no. and I both were pretty, pretty agnostic about Halloween Kills ultimately. Yeah, no, I didn't love um, Halloween Kills as much as the 2018 uh, Halloween, which is a direct sequel to the original from 78 and the other movies have picked up uh, since then. But I, I still did find some things to love in uh, in Halloween Kills. I know a lot of people thought the like evil dies tonight mob that gets formed in that movie that's basically just like a very ham-handed like political kind of commentary is not well done and that's fair enough but you know a lot of like commentary in horror movies can be ham-handed so i don't entirely fault halloween kills uh for that and i do think that now that it's the third movie and they know what their end point is um even if they are going to maybe set up for possible sequels for other people to do in the future I, i do think that this one will probably end up being hopefully stronger than halloween kills because again they have a fixed point now that they can move toward with this one. So, and then, um, and that's going to be out on, it's going to be in theaters and simultaneously on Peacock, which made a lot of sense last year. And I'm not sure if this year it makes same amount of sense at all, but I'm not sure. I mean, it, I know, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked about the, the blurring of, TV and movies and this feels like it's especially because horror movie fans who in particular are going to like buoy a movie like this they will go out and see a movie still they like they will they are all too happy to go to a theater and still watch horror movies because every single one of these horror movies I've mentioned that was in a theater this year I was not the only one there there are other kinds of movies I've gone and seen in a theater this year where I was the only one there's not a single horror movie where that's been the case. Even Watcher, which is a very indie kind of movie, there were other people there because horror movie people will always show up. What do you know about the new Hellraiser? Not a thing. <laughs> I was never a huge Hellraiser fan. Admittedly, that's one of those franchises I haven't seen any of the movies of. And um, yeah, so I'm going to withhold judgment and, uh, and any expectations there. It's gotten uh, it, pretty good buzz, though, from what you were telling me. Yeah, I mean, it's directed by David Bruckner, who did The Night House, which came out a couple of years ago, uh, starring Rebecca Hall, and, and was actually, or it came out, I think, just tail into last year, maybe? I kind of hate that I didn't get around to watching that one last year, that we could have talked about it at some point, because I really enjoyed that movie quite a bit uh, and loved Rebecca Hall in that one, so... Knowing that uh, he's the same guy that uh, that did that and is doing the new Hellraiser movie, that piques my interest just a little bit more. Yep. And then going back a couple of years before that is The Ritual, which you can watch on Netflix, another one of his films that, uh, again, I mean, tonally, it, it, it pretty solid. So I'm I'm excited about Hellraiser. I mean, as, as much as I can be excited about a franchise that I don't have much, much skin in the game on. Um, and then... So those are the only ones that are really coming out in October. There's a handful of others that I think are worth maybe just throwing out there past October. But uh, the menu looks really interesting. That's one where the the trailers are everywhere in front of every movie I think I've seen in the theaters the past, uh, you know, two months maybe. Um, And that that one looks like like it's going to have some like good 
comedic elements to it too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the menu, and then there is a Christmas horror thriller type thing starring David Harbour called Violent Night, which comes out <laughs> uh, late November, I believe. Where he seems to play an evil Santa of of some kind, based on a a poster that I saw for that one. Yeah, that comes out December second, and yeah, David Harbour uh, plays a kind of Santa Claus looking guy, but it's uh it's like a home invasion type thing, and it is directed by Tommy Workula, who is the man behind Dead Snow, <laughs> most notably in in my book. He also did a weird uh hansel and gretel witch hunters movie in 2013 but with uh um, jeremy renner right that is it that hansel and gretel witch hunters yep yep i, I don't know how many other uh hansel and gretel witch hunters <laughs> you could possibly be confusing it with yeah, but, that's, uh, yeah. Fair. that's fair yeah dead snow uh is a i don't know about classic but it was a pretty good i mean the idea of having zombies and nazis together as the villains is kind of like stupid genius. Two great movie villain tastes that, you know, taste great together. Absolutely. Yeah. And the in violent nights, uh, David Harbour's character, uh, the additional characters or David Harbour plays Santa Claus. That is what he's, who he's credited as. And then the uh, second and third on the list, we've got John Leguizamo. Sure. And then also Beverly D'Angelo, who, I'm assuming is going to trigger in folks a certain element of or uh, National Lampoon's Christmas. Yep, Christmas vacation. So we got the menu, Violent Night, um, and coming out later. I, I don't know if uh, we'd want to even really include this, but uh, Triangle of Sadness looks maybe not horror, but certainly grotesque. <laughs> that one I'm actually not familiar with either. What is uh, what is Triangle of Sadness? Triangle of Sadness, it's directed by Ruben Ostland, who did Force Majeure and The Square. Oh, okay. And it is about a, it's kind of similar to the menu, I think, in the way that it's skewering upper class folks, but it's a a whole bunch of rich people on a chartered yacht and very upstairs, downstairs kind of breakdown. But the the yacht hits a, a bit of bad weather. And even in the trailer, the entire middle chunk of the trailer is just toilets exploding with disgusting uh, stuff and multiple people puking and sliding around. Yeah, it's uh, it looks like a, a real mess. And uh, Woody Harrelson is in there. He's probably the, the only name that is going to be recognized by, uh, you know, Americans. But um, yeah, Triangle of Sadness looks pretty fascinating and that's that's one that i'm keeping my eye on for oscar stuff as well but all really depends on how it's going to land i feel dumb that i didn't recognize the name of that considering it won the the palm d'Or this year at uh, the Cannes film festival oh that one is definitely one i will try to seek out as well and then one that won't be until next year but you know we talked about there being a new hellraiser movie so new movie in a classic franchise and we got the halloween movie uh, one we're going to be getting next year is another Evil Dead movie that uh, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell both have involvement in, at least like production wise. I don't think like Bruce Campbell's going to be in it or anything, but there's going to be Evil Dead Rise, I think is the name of it. And originally it was going to be like a follow up to the 2013 Evil Dead, which actually was 
uh, a really enjoyable kind of movie, but they sort of scrapped that. And I think it's in some ways going to be its own thing. So if you want more evil dead uh, in your life, there's going to be some soon enough. Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's what we got. A survey of the, the spooky landscape. A survey of the spooky landscape. And um, if anybody thinks that we we left anything off, please holler at us. Hit us up on, on Twitter and all those places. And uh, where you can find our Twitter links will be in the show notes, along with lists uh, of where you can find all the films that we have been talking about. And yeah. So thank you for tuning in for this uh, this bonus episode. And I hope everyone has a, a wonderful, safe Halloween. Thank you so much, Jared. Um, and next week, we will all be back together. Jared, myself, and Bruce, we haven't been back on the pod for, what, two months now? It's been a long time. Back back in the pod again. <laughs> and we're going to be coming back to talk about our Oscar nomination predictions based on a whole bunch of movies that we haven't seen yet. Yes. <laughs> so um reading tea leaves absolutely jared do you want it's been a while i know you're a little rusty but you want to you want to take us out here i'll do a i'll do a, a lo-fi uh kind of classic one and uh just say that uh look you know you should uh go to the theaters and you should uh screen something good or you should stay at home and uh stream something good but since it is October, you should also uh, scream something good. I don't even know what that means, but you should do that. Figure out what that means for you and scream something good. Absolutely. Scream something good. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, we will be back, like I said, soon. Follow us on, on all the places and uh, have, have, a great, have a great rest of the day. Goodbye. Gordy did nothing wrong. <laughs>